Bay Hills Community Church is pleased to have you with us as we continue our series, Our Church. In this series, we've looked at our values and our vision and ways our lives can make an impact on our community. Today, Elder Gary Deaver helps us come to grips with what our authority is for being and living. Gary points us to the Bible as our authority for keeping our ethical and moral lines from getting blurred. Listen as we're reminded how we as believers do have a guide that helps us change our world. Uh, for those of you who know me and wish you didn't, I'm still Gary Deaver. I can't change that. Uh, but uh, Dave has been uh, doing a series, uh, Pastor Dave been doing a series on our, the church. He looked at our values, uh, our vision, uh, the first series, and I'm going to wrap it up looking at our authority. And uh, so we're going to look at uh, basically the Bible, because the Bible is our authority. So um, in our society today, uh, in our, our world for that matter, uh, much of the uh, ethical and moral lines have really been blurred. Uh, you know, it's hard to know what's right or wrong anymore. Um, we're told that we need to be accepting of everything that comes along, all the ideologies, all the, the, the new ways of living, uh, all the teachings. We're, we're supposed to just accept it and tolerate it and condone it, you know, and just with open arms. And if we don't, then we're looked upon as narrow-minded, as bigoted, as uh, not really keeping up with the times. Um, and so we're kind of critically evaluated if we don't accept everything. Um, and sometimes the real problem is, is if we don't have any kind of real objective guideline, we find ourselves kind of, well, should I accept this new teaching or, uh, or should I go along with this idea or uh, what about this uh, moral change that's going on? So we find ourselves sometimes in a quandary of, and somewhat unstable if we don't really have an objective guide or a playbook, if you will, of how we should really live. Uh, but I'm here this morning to tell you that as believers, as Christians, we really do have an objective guide. We really do have a playbook. It's called the Bible. And we need to really look at that as it is, in fact, truth and God's word. We have this objective truth because there's nothing more important this morning to you and throughout your life as what you believe about the Bible, how you use the Bible, how you allow it to penetrate your lives. That is crucial to your life. We have to ask ourselves really four basic questions. Number one, do you believe the Bible is God's word? Number two, if we believe the Bible is God's word, do we read it? And number three, if we read it, do we understand it? And then most importantly of all, if we understand it, do we live and obey what we understand? See, I'm convinced that our problem is really not that we need to know more about the Bible necessarily. We just need to practice what we already know. You know, there's people who know tons and practice ounces. And sometimes if we're not careful, we can find ourselves in that same situation. There's a lot of opinions on the Bible, a lot of things out there of what the Bible is. Is it really God's word? Is, is it written by men? Is it written by God? Should we take it literally or should we just spiritualize everything? Um, and there's a lot of opinions, a lot of ideas. Uh, the George Barna Group did a survey uh, a few surveys, and I want to show you some of the results here. This is looking at some unchurched Americans, uh, ages 18 to 29, so the millennial group, basically, uh, on what they thought about the Bible. 45% thought the Bible was just a book of stories and advices, uh, advice compiled by men. 
That's all they thought of it. Just good stories, you know, nice little stories. David and Goliath, Jonah and the whale and all that. Um, 27% of that group thought that the Bible was actually inspired word of God, whatever that meant. They didn't really qualify what they meant by being inspired. Maybe it just made you feel good. So that was kind of inspired. Um, some thought, 30% thought that it was useful uh, for moral teachings. 19% said that it was an outdated book with no relevance for today. And then 27% said that it was a dangerous book of religious dogma used for centuries to oppress the people, you know. Power to the people. You know, we got to get down with the word of God. This next uh, little thing I thought was kind of interesting, too. They looked at the five word choices that they used to describe the Bible. One, 50% said it was just stories, just nice little stories. 38% said it was mythology. They ranked it up there with kind of the Greek mythology and just uh, weird stories. 36% said, well, you know what? This is just, uh, you know, symbolic. It means something. We don't know what it is, but it means something. So whatever it means to you, that's where you want to take away from it. Uh, 30% said it was just a fairy tale. And then 30% more said, you know what? This is just historical information. We just need to look at it like that, just a history book. So we don't want to really take uh, much stock in it. No, no, we might expect this from Christian, I mean, from uh, non-believers and uh, the world at large. But what about believers? What do we Christians do with the Bible? You know, so let's look at this next one. Uh, researchers George Gallup and Jim Caselli really put their problem uh, squarely when they said Americans revere the Bible, but by and large, they don't read it. And have, because of that, they have become a nation of biblical illiterates. And I, I thought that was kind of interesting. I, I hope that we don't fall into that category, biblical illiterates. We need to know about the Bible, understand the Bible, read the Bible. Look at this next statistics. And these are uh, statistics taken, a survey taken of a, for believers, among adult believers. Less than 50% of adults can name the four Gospels. Many Christians cannot identify more than two of the 12 disciples, two or three. 60% can't even name uh, five of the Ten Commandments. Now, I saw that and I thought to myself, well, you know what? I'm going to quiz myself, okay? Thou shalt help no other gods before me, okay? Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy and, 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 and it kind of went on. I'll tell you this. I did better than five, but I didn't get all ten. So you're probably sitting there thinking to yourself, okay, uh, remember the Sabbath, keep it holy. You're going to try to quiz yourself. But 60% couldn't name all the Ten Commandments. 82% believe in... Let me know if you fall in this category. The Lord helps those who help themselves is a verse from the Bible. I was going to ask for a show of hands who believe that, but I thought it might be too convicting. Uh, that is not in the Bible. The Lord doesn't help those who help themselves. This is where it gets really weird. 12% believe that Joan of Arc was Noah's wife. Can you believe it? You know, Joan, the Ark, Noah, the Ark. Yeah, fits. Husband and wife. 50% of high school seniors thought that Sodom and Gomorrah were husband and wife. You know, Sodom and Gomorrah, Isaac's son, you know, they lived down the corner, around the block there. 50% of high school seniors thought that Sodom and Gomorrah were husband and wife. Many thought that the Sermon on the Mount was a message preached by Billy Graham. Somewhere on the hills of North Carolina, you know, where his home is, I'm sure, you know. So we, we have a real under, lack of understanding sometimes uh, of what the Bible says and how to use the Bible for that matter and what the Bible means, what it is to us. Let me just show you this next slide. This is actually Bay Hill's Statement of Faith. It's part of uh, Bay Hill's Statement of Faith on the Bible section. This is what we as Bay Hills believe about the Bible. 
We believe that the Bible is God's inspired word and has all the answers to questions, struggles, and choices we face in our lives. We believe that we should regularly study and read, study, and obey the Bible so that we can learn about God, develop our faith, and grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, I hope you believe that. You know, because the Bible that we have in our hands, hope you have it in your hands, hope you have one at home. If not, hope you read it. But the Bible is more than a novel. It's more than just a collection of historical writings. It's more than just a fantasy. It's more than just symbol, although it contains symbols. The Bible is actually God's authoritative, inspired revelation of himself to us. It's a guide to tell us how to live. It's an instruction book, if you will. This is about God. This is about you. This is about life. And yet I find that oftentimes we don't read it. You know, oftentimes we use it in kind of the wrong way. You know, we just go to the Bible maybe when we're discouraged or when we're depressed or when we're down or we're sick. So we go to the Bible just for a comforting verse. You know, uh, sometimes we get discouraged and we think, oh, I just need to go to the Bible. And it's kind of like the man that decided he was discouraged and depressed. He didn't know what to do. And he hadn't read the Bible much, so he decided, you know what? I don't really know where to go in here. So I'm just going to open up the Bible and put my finger on a verse. And whatever that says, that's what I'm claiming for my life. You know what's coming. So he opens the Bible, and it falls to Matthew 27.5. He put his finger there, and he said, So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. Then he went out and hanged himself. You know? And he said, oh, no, that, that doesn't sound good. I can't follow that. So he did it again, opened the Bible, put his finger, and it landed on Luke chapter 10, verse 37. Go and do thou likewise. So he said, no, Lord, I'm going to give you one more chance, God. Did it again, put his finger in John 13, 27. It says, whatsoever thou doest, do it quickly. You know, so, and that's sometimes that we use the Bible, and that's kind of a danger. We can't use the Bible like that. We have to know and study it and understand it and see what God is saying. So the real question is, how do we maintain stability in this world that's kind of fallen apart around us and all these values and everything are being blurred and concepts are being distorted? The first thing we need to do is that we need to remain committed to the Word of God. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3. Or excuse me, 2 Timothy chapter 3. Um, and it says this, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Now, I want you to notice right away that he says something in the beginning. He says, but as for you. Now, when you see something like that in a verse, it kind of means that, well, you have to go back to what was said before. But as for you. And Paul is really contrasting in verse 13. It's not in your uh, notes, nor is it in the slides. But let me read this. Verse 13 says, while evil men, he's talking about end times things and all that's going on. He says, but while evil men and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, I want you to continue in what you have learned. The word continue is a real strong word. It means to abide in something, to, to lay hold of it, to stay true to something, to not go on from where you have been founded. It's like a foundation. Be committed here. Continue in this. Paul's telling Timothy, and he's telling us, be committed to the word of God. Don't go beyond that. 
like the men in verse 13. And he uses the word here, he says in verse 13, that they go on. And that means that they've progressed beyond what they knew to be true. They, they left the foundations of the teachings of the word of God and they've gone on and they proceeded and they pro- progressed beyond where they should. Now, there's a lot of things that we can look at about progression that, you know, it may be all right to, to progress. And in our society, everything is progressing. You know, in the world, we see it in electronics. You know, they came out with computers and they came out with iPads. And I don't know if you see now they have iWatches. You know, it's like the Dick Tracy thing where you can look at your watch and you see everything. They actually have that now. I don't know if you've seen them. It's amazing to me. They have iWatches. You know, it's true in the, in the area of science and medicine. Years ago, I used to work as a, an operating room technician. Uh, basically, it's a fancy name for a tool man. You know, the doctors say, scalpel, not hand in the scalpel, clamp, and in the clamp, sponge, hand in the sponge, you know. But I like to say operating room technician. It just sounds so much better than tool man. But in those days, I did a lot of surgeries from craniotomies to toenails. Uh, but I remember doing cataract surgery. And in those days, cataract surgery, it would take about two hours to do this surgery. And the patient had to be totally motionless. And they put big sandbags beside each, uh, on each side of their head. And they couldn't move. And it, the room was dark so the doctor could see through the microscope and all that. And I'm tool man. I'm sitting here. I'm trying to pass clamps. It's all dark. And I just ate lunch. And I'm about ready to fall asleep. You know, but it took two, two hours. Nowadays, it takes about 15 minutes. You know, in the first post-op day, you're probably out playing tennis again, practically. I mean, things change rapidly. And we see it in the uh, area of fashion. Fashions change, as we know that. We see it in uh, health. All these exercises, you see all these infomercials of all these health exercises. The newest, greatest thing that's going to help you lose 30 pounds and, you know, look like uh, the rock. You know, it's just not going to happen for me, you know. Uh, But, you know, we see all these changes and all the things that are progressing. And it's okay to progress in these things. It's okay to adopt whatever's going to make your life easier and better for you and and all that. But there's certain areas, there's one area specifically that we shouldn't change in. And that's our moorings in the word of God. How we view the Bible. How we allow it to change our lives and control us and direct us and guide us. Because if we don't, we can be very dangerous. There's actually three reasons Paul says why we shouldn't. Uh, allow ourselves to go on from this, that we should be committed. The first reason we should be committed to uh, the word of God is because of the character of our teachers. Notice what he says. Continue in what you have learned and become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it. Now, Paul is specifically talking to Timothy, and Timothy had a real great upbringing in the sense that his mother Eunice and his grandmother Lois were godly women. They taught him the scriptures. They communicated the word of God to him. They taught him about God and how great he was. And he says, you know, you've, you've learned it from these people. You know their character. Now, all of you, I don't know, you may not have had a great godly upbringing. Maybe your parents were uh, not the best parents. But you know what? We all have someone in our lives that had impact on us for God. That's probably why we're here this morning. Maybe it was a friend, maybe it was a co-worker, maybe it was your mother, your grandmother. Uh, in my case, my grandmother had a great impact on me. Uh, she was a godly lady. And I kept looking at her life. And you know, and I thought, well, you know what? If God can really change her life and do that for her, maybe he could do something for me. Because I definitely needed help. You know, And that's the same thing you look at. And that's what Paul is saying here. Look at the character of the teachers, look at the character of the ones who communicated the word of God to you, who said, you know what, we have a great church here, you need to come, you need to see what God can do in your life. You know? 
And that's the impact that you'll have on your job. That's the impact that you can have with your neighbors. As you live God before them, they see your godly character. And in fact, you're the only God that some people actually see. You're the only Jesus Christ that some people actually see. And when they see your life and your behavior before them, and it's good and it's wholesome, you don't laugh at the same jokes they do. You don't uh, tell the same bad stories that they tell. You don't cheat on your taxes like they do. You operate by a higher level than they do. Then they start to notice that about you. They start to say, you know, maybe there's really something different about you. And it's because of your character. And that's what Paul tells Timothy. One of the reasons you need to stay committed is because you want to think back on the character of those who taught you. See what they did and how it changed their life. The other reason we need to stay committed is because of the divine nature of scriptures. Notice what he says. How from infancy you have known the holy scriptures. You know, there's a lot that can be said about teaching your children when they're young. In fact, Deuteronomy says that. When you raise your children, you're training your children, teach them about God when, they're, when you're walking along the way, when you're eating dinner, when you're going to bed at night. Let your whole behavior, your whole manner of life reflect God. And there's something unique about the Scriptures because he says here you have, from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures. And this is a term that really reflects the supernatural aspect of God's Word. This is not just a normal book that you buy at the store and you pick up and you read once in a while. This is actually a book that actually contains God's words, God's communication to us. It's a, there's a divine characteristic about the word of God. And then thirdly, the thing that we should do, reason we should be committed to the word of God, put the slide up there, the wisdom of the scriptures. It says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned to become convinced of because you know those from whom you have learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through Jesus Christ. You know, I don't know about you, but, but I'm not a very wise guy, actually. Well, I mean, I'm a wise guy, but I'm not really a wise guy. And so just normally, I, I need something more than what I have naturally to make me wise. And you know what? The Bible does it. The Bible can give you wisdom and give you the ability to understand things and to grow beyond your normal wisdom. Because the Bible contains the wisdom of the ages, contains God's wisdom. And through the Bible, through you reading the Bible and applying it into your life, you can behave wisely. I remember years ago when I was working in the operating room, we had a nurse who was young and attractive and very flirtatious. And she was always doing things that was crazy. One day I was in the lunchroom in between surgeries, and this nurse walks in and she just sat down on my lap. And she looked at me, and then she battered her big brown eyes at me like that. And I thought, you know, you're insane, lady. There's something wrong with you, you know. But she sat there and battered her eyes. And immediately my mind went to a verse that I had just been reading in Proverbs that said, let her not take you with her eyelids. That was perfect. So I just pushed her on the floor. I said, get off of me, you know. So the Word of God will give you wisdom to act in certain situations. It teaches you how to push people on the floor. No, no, it doesn't really teach you that. But the Word of God, the point is, it gives you wisdom. It gives you understanding. It helps you to be wiser than you are. So we need to stay committed to the Word of God because of the wisdom that the Scriptures give us. The next thing I want us to note about the Bible is that we need to recognize the authority of the Bible. 
This verse in 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is God-breathed, and it's useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting and training in righteousness. Notice this, so that the man of God and for the woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The word of God is important for us because it it's inspired. It's it's God breathed. Uh, some translations use the word inspired. Uh, it's really not inspired because inspired means to breathe in something. And inspired, we have a real kind of different uh, ideas of what the word inspired means. You know, you see a beautiful sunset and you say, I was so inspired. You know, what does it mean? You feel sort of bubbly on the inside and you think it's pretty and, and all that. Or we might say, you know, I was really inspired to write this beautiful poem. That's not the same thing. This word actually is the Greek, two Greek words. One from means God and the other means breathed. So I don't even have to tell you the Greek to show you what it says. It's God breathed. God breathed out his word. So when we look at the word, we're looking at God breathed word. And something's really important. It says all scripture. It doesn't mean all scripture as a whole, although that's true. But the words are actually every scripture. So every single word in the Bible is God breathed. It's breathed out by him. God originated the scriptures. He breathed them out for us. And so when we look at the Bible, we have to look at this verse and we recognize that all scripture, God breathed it out for us. Look at this next slide. This is one that talks about God. Go ahead and go to the next slide. Oh, here we go. Okay. All of you, uh, above all, you must understand that no prophecy of scripture came about by one's own private interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This answers the question of, was it written by men or was it written by God? And it says that even the prophets of old, when they wrote, they didn't write of their own initiative or by their own ideas or by their own thoughts or by their own interpretation of what the situation was. They wrote, and the Bible says, as they were born along, they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And this means that God so superintended the writings of Scripture that when the men wrote, they wrote every single word that God wanted to communicate. You know, there's different views on biblical inspiration. or They, they think that, well, some, some believe that God just, the, the writers of Scripture just sort of went comatose and God wrote you know, move their hand. But God used their vocabulary. He used their background, their knowledge, but he made sure that they wrote down exactly what he wanted to say. So when we have the word before us, we have the God-breathed character of truth in his word. So we need to recognize that God is a source of the word, first of all. Secondly, we need to recognize that the Bible is profitable for us. It's profitable. It's beneficial. So when you read the word of God, it's helpful. It says that it's profitable for instruction, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Let's take a look at these words individually. First of all, let's take a look at the word instruction. The word instruction really means kind of the overall teaching of God's word, the overall doctrine or truths in it. Uh, It talks about God's character, you know, what he's like. Again, we had no way of knowing what God was like. So God says, you want to know what I'm like? Here I am. All you have to do is read. It tells us that God is full of compassion, full of grace, that God is holy, that God is righteous, that God's loving kindness is renewed every morning, that we can't sin enough to exhaust God's love. 
I love to hear truths about God like that. Don't you? We can't sin enough to exhaust God. And it doesn't mean that we just make plans to sin, but it just means that God is always there with open arms to accept us back. It tells us about God's character. It tells us about human existence. It tells us why we're here. We're here to bring glory to God. It tells us of how we're to behave, how we're to relate to one another. It tells us about practical living, how we should uh, handle our finances. It gets that practical. How we should deal with uh, relationships, how we should re- relate to one another. So it's good for instruction. And then it says that it's good for reproof. And reproof actually means to convict or to expose. And I think this is kind of an interesting word because um, it means the word of God, if you allow it to apply it into your life, you allow it to work, it's going to tell you where you're wrong. It's going to be like an arrow to shoot you right between the eyes. It's going to say, you know what? What you did, what you said, how you acted, that was sin. And that's how the word of God works for us. And you think, well, my goodness, if it's going to do that, why would I want to read it? It's going to tell me I'm a sinner. It's because sin will ruin your life. The word of God tells you the best way to live, the perfect way to live. It doesn't mean you have to be perfect, but it says, you know what? This is the best life that you could ever live. Why would you not want to follow it? So the word of God is convicting. Notice what it says, Proverbs 19. The foolishness of man ruins his way and his heart rages against the Lord. Isn't that the truth? I know my foolish heart does. It rages against me. Paul says in Romans, you know, the spirit wars against the flesh. The flesh wars against the spirit. It's like there's two beasts inside you fighting to see who's going to get control. One's good and one's bad. And whichever wins is the one you feed the most. And that's kind of the way it is. You're going to give in to sin, you're going to give that. But the word of God reproves us. It really tells us when we're doing wrong. It tells us how to behave, how not to sin, how to stay pure before God, how to live before him. There's a uh, story of a, a boy who, whose mom, he loved his mom's jam. It was a great jam, little boy. And one day she made a bunch of strawberry jam and she put it up in the cupboard and she says, you know what, I don't want you to touch this. I've got to go outside and rent, you know, do some things in the front yard, so I don't want you to touch it until I get back. She says, okay, mommy, I won't. So we stood there for a while, and then he did pretty well, and then he resisted as long as he could, and so he just couldn't stand anymore. So he pushed a chair up by the counter, climbed up on there, opened the doors, and he reached in, and he started grabbing the strawberry jam. Mm, Yeah, it's yummy. It's good. And finally, he heard his mom coming back. So quickly, jumped down. He pushed the chair back in, shut the door, and he stood there, just looking as innocent as he could. His mom says, Johnny, did you get in the strawberry jam? And he says, looked her right in the eyes, and he said, no, mommy, I didn't get in the strawberry jam. So she asked him again, Johnny, did you get in the strawberry jam? So he kind of looked down at her apron and he said, no, mommy, I didn't get in the strawberry jam. And she said again, Johnny, did you get in the strawberry jam? So he looked kind of down at her shoes and said, no, mommy, I didn't get in the strawberry jam. So she asked him one final time, Johnny, did you get in the strawberry jam? And so he looked down to the level of his own shoes, kept looking, and then he saw the spot of strawberry jam on his shirt. You know, so... You know, and that's kind of how it is with the word of God. You know, we, we need to apply it into our lives. But first we, we read a verse and we think, you know what? I wish that rotten coworker of mine could read this verse. That'd be good for him. And then we read the verse again and we think, you know what? Man, I wish those lousy people at Bay Hills would read it. They could get in shape. And then we read it again and we think, oh man, my wife really needs this verse. 
And then we read it again, and we finally look down at our own shirt, and we say, you know what? I need this verse in my life. I need to change. So we need to allow the word of God to work in our lives and change us so that we become better, so that we grow, so that we mature. The word of God is alive. Notice what he says in Hebrews 4. The word of God is living and it's active. That doesn't mean the words are moving around on the page. It's not like squirming here because they're alive. It means that God works the word in your life if you allow it to change you. He said it's a living and active, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. You know, I don't know what your attitudes are. I don't know what you're thinking this morning. But you know what? God does. And the word of God is able to penetrate even to the depths of your being. So it says, you know what? I know how you're living. I know what you need in your life. And I can change you. That's the beautiful thing about the word of God. It's able to change us. It's able to move in us and develop us as we should be. And that's our next word. Notice what he says finally. Not only is it good for reproof, but it's good for correction. And this is basically God's improvement plan for our lives. You see, conviction or reproof will knock us down. But the word of God is also able to stand us up again and correct us. And make the changes where we need to be changed. Cause the growth that needs to be done in our lives. It helps us to get right with God. You know, when you first came to Christ, the thing that you really had to understand, first of all, you may not have been able to quote the verse, but you had to know that Jesus Christ died for your sins. That he was buried. That he rose again on the third day, according to the scriptures, so that you could be saved. That's the gospel. That's what you need to believe in order to be saved. If you're just here and you think, well, this is kind of a fun place. We've got hip tunes and good things, and this is really cool at Bay Hills. You're not saved. You need to understand that Jesus Christ died for your sins, was buried, and rose again. He didn't just die for you. You know, you think, well, I'm a pretty good person. Somebody should die for me. No, he died for our sins. That's what getting right with God does. The word of God helps you to get right with him because you see it. You understand the verse and you say, you know what? Jesus died for my sins. And if I believe that, I can go to heaven and be in his presence. And it also helps us to become restored to fellowship. You know, once you're a believer, it doesn't mean that you're sinless, right? I mean, I'm close, but I'm not there yet. I'm just kidding. You know, nobody's sinless, right? We're none of us are. We haven't, any of us got it wired together. We're all, we all need the word of God. And the word of God helps us to know how we can restore to fellowship. It also helps us to become reconciled to others. A lot of times we have bad relationships with people. Maybe it's a family member we've fallen out with or a, or a friend or a coworker or something. We've, we just have a bad rub. But the word of God tells us, you know what? I know how to do that. I know how to blend you back together and help you to be reconciled to others. And it also helps us to overcome harmful habits, those things that are destructive to us, that can really be harmful for us and destroy us and not be good for us. And then he says it's good for training in righteousness. Look at this. It's good for training in righteousness. And he goes on, he says, so that the man of God may be completely equipped furnished for every good work. So it's good for equipping us, outfitting you for what you need to know in life so that you can behave properly, so that you can behave in a way that's going to be beneficial to you. It's good for knowledge so that we can know and grow in in understanding of God's word. It's good for stability. We're talking this morning about stability. The word of God gives you stability and helps you to operate in a way that 
uh, will be far above all your coworkers and all those you know if they're not living for God. It gives you stability. And then it makes it available, uh, possible for us to be involved in service so that we can serve him and follow him. One of the great verses I like is next in Ephesians. It says here, For by grace, uh, it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, so that no one should boast. But he says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. And we love that. We're God's workmanship. The word workmanship actually means, uh, comes from a Greek word where we get our English word poem. It's poema. It means we're, we're like this beautiful work of art that God put together. We're his workmanship. And he says, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance. God prepared in advance for us to do. Do you know God has already mapped out good works for you to do? And he says the word of God will equip us if we allow it to work in our lives and become what he wants us to be. So let me ask, in conclusion, let me just put this up. How do we remain stable in an unstable world? First of all, we have to remain committed to the Bible. We have to read the Bible. Meditate on the word of God. Part of the problem sometimes when you read the word, it's kind of like looking in a mirror. You see a spot on your face and you go away and you get busy with something else and you forget to clean off the spot. That's how we treat the word of God a lot of times. We see, well, boy, I really need to change in this area. And we don't really think about it. And we go on and then we don't change. We need to meditate on the word of God. And we need to memorize the word of God. Set scripture to memory. It's really helpful. Like I push the nurse off on the floor. You know, it helps you to memorize the word of God. And then we need to practice what it says. So it's not enough to just know tons. You need to practice tons. You need to put it into your life. You need to grow by allowing the word of God to take root in your life. As I close this morning, I'd like to do something kind of weird, kind of different. I want us all to stand. So if you would stand with me, please. And I'm going to ask you four questions. And if you agree, I want you to say out loud, I do. Okay, so let's do a test run. Do you know that you're in Bay Hills Church? All right, good. That's what I'm here. Okay, so now we're going to start the test here. Do you believe the Bible originated from God? Do you believe that the Bible is God breathed and true? Do you believe the Bible reveals the message of salvation through Jesus Christ? And then lastly, do you believe that the Bible is able to equip you to serve and please God? Good. So if you're able to answer I do to those questions, you know, I challenge you to, to read this book. I challenge you to apply it into your lives. I challenge you to make it part of your everyday activity. Not just once a week, once a month. Read it. God has delivered this book. It is his God-breathed word. And men have died and given their life's blood to preserve this, to communicate it to us. And we have it now so easily at our disposal. It's God's word, his God-breathed word. There's an old hymn that says, how firm a foundation. And I, I, I love hymns. Uh, I don't know if you'll know that, but I, I like hymns. I like poems. I know David doesn't care that much for poetry, but David's not here, so I can tell you this. But I love this old hymn that says, How firm a foundation, you saints of the Lord, are laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can he say than to you he has said, to you who for refuge to Jesus have fled. God has said everything he needs to say right here in his word.
We just need to read it and apply it into our lives. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you this morning for your wonderful word because it is your God-breathed, God-communicated, God-inspired truth that you chose to show us who you were, what you're like, and how we can be like you if we allow your word to take root in our lives. I pray this morning, Father, that you would use these words to penetrate our hearts so that we might read your word even more. I found it convicting even in my own life that I take for granted so often your word. Let me not do that. Let me not read it like a storybook or like a novel or like something that I just have to put in time with so I can say that I read today. Oh, Father, I pray that your word would penetrate my life and the lives of all your people here. Teach us, Father. Guide us. Change us as we become more and more like Jesus Christ. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. It's our hope that today's podcast has enriched your life and answered questions you may have had. If you'd like more information about what was said in this podcast or about Bay Hills Community Church, you can reach us on the Internet at www.bayhills.net. Bay Hills, located in El Sobrante, California, exists to help everyone take their next step closer to Jesus. Thanks again for listening.